Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. By the way, isn't this, this is neat up here. Come on, this is cool. This is so, this is, I, 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 I look at, I'm going to do something because I'm just, I, 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 if I don't do this, if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it. So just bear with me, all right? Just bear with me on this. I'm going to find my way through here. Good morning, AFA. Isn't that cool? I feel like I'm at the Grand Ole Opry right there, man. That is so slick. Uh, last Sunday afternoon, they put this up, and when I, uh, we had an event here on Sunday night, and so I came in. They had, they, it, it, they had worked on all this, put it all together, built it, and then and then Sunday afternoon, after the service last week, they tore down the platform, brought all this in, put it up, and so it was just, it was largely like this by Sunday evening. And I looked at this, and it was so cool because it brought back a whole bunch of memories. You have to, real, real quickly, um, when I was a boy, my dad was a, a farmer in Minnesota, and our house, the front of our house, looked a lot like this. Well, we moved away from that when I was quite young, and we, I grew up on a ranch in, in uh, western South Dakota, and the barn that we had, uh, my, my dad had there on the ranch, looked as bigger than this, but it looked a lot like this, and it just made me homesick. And, and, then, and then I looked at that, that hay mow up there. We used to put hay up there, those little, you know, 80, 60-pound wonders, um, uh, idiot blocks, we called them. And we used to put those up there in the hay mow. My dad would always pick about the hottest summer day of the year, to load that hay mow, and, and I looked up at that, and I said, oh, God, thank you for calling me into the ministry, and I, and I just, uh, <laughs> but a lot of memories. Tonight, it, listen, you guys, it, you, it's, some of you are going to be, you're planning on being here, you're going to have family in the production. If, if you weren't planning on it, change your plans. Come tonight, 5 o'clock. It's going to be great, and, and you're going to see there's going to be all kinds of music up here, a lot of fun, a lot of laughter, great message, bring somebody with you tonight, 5 o'clock, and then thanks in advance to all who have made this possible, and then also, uh, again, as Pastor Ben mentioned, a light uh, supper after that, and so just come, and just going to be a great time, 5 o'clock today. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, this, this is not a Christmas message. I, I've shared with my staff that I, I try to preach two Christmas messages a year, the, the, the one closest to Christmas and then the, the week before, the Sunday before. I, I, uh, I'm not preaching a Christmas message this morning. Now, Matthew chapter 1, where you're turned to in your Bibles, does contain a part of the Christmas story. There's only two Gospels that mention uh, the, the facts of Jesus' birth. Actually, three, but John kind of looks at a cosmic sense more than the details. But it's only Matthew and Luke who record the, the birth of Jesus. Luke goes into greater detail, but a large part of what we know about the birth of Jesus is found here, beginning in Matthew chapter 1. Um, it contains part of the Christmas story, but we're not going to read that part of the story. We're not going to read that part. Rather, I want to this morning read the first half, the very first half of Matthew chapter 1. It is a part of Matthew chapter 1 that is often overlooked, 
It is frequently bypassed. Uh, I've heard very few, if any, messages on this part of Matthew. Before we read it, I warn you, and I don't say this humorously, but at first glance, you look at this and it's like reading through a, a Jewish phone book with these strange sounding names, but, but I, I, I say this, that every part of the Bible, every part of the Bible is important. There is no part here in this book that is here by mistake. This is God's Word. And if it's recorded here, even some strange sounding, hard to pronounce names, even though it's recorded here, if it's recorded here, then it is here for a purpose. It is God's word. So with that being said, I want to begin reading Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. It reads this way, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2, to Abraham was born Isaac, and to Isaac Jacob, and to Jacob Judah and his brothers. To Judah were born Perez and Zerah by Tamar. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron Ram. To Ram was born Aminadab, to Aminadab Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon. To Salmon was born Boaz by Rahab, and to Boaz was born Obed by Ruth, and to Obed, Jesse. To Jesse was born David the king, and to David was born Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. To Solomon was born Rehoboam, to Rehoboam Abijah, and to Abijah Asa. Asa was born Jehoshaphat, to Jehoshaphat, Joram, to Joram, Uzziah. To Uzziah was born Jotham, to Jotham, Ahaz, to Ahaz, Hezekiah. To Hezekiah was born Manasseh, to Manasseh, Amon, and to Amon, Josiah. To Josiah was born Jeconiah and all his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon... To Jeconiah was born Shealtiel, and to Shealtiel, Zerubbabel. And to Zerubbabel was born Abiud. To Abiud, Eliakim, and to Eliakim, Azor. To Azor was born Zadok, and to Zadok, Achim, and to Achim, Eliud. To Eliud was born Eleazar, to Eleazar, Matan, and to Matan, Jacob. And to Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born Jesus who is called Christ. Verse 17, therefore, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the time of Christ, 14 generations. Lord, again, we come to you briefly in prayer together as a body of believers. And we thank you for your word. May you speak to us today. May we be careful with your word. May, we, may your word in, a, in a, maybe a, a way that it's never done before speak to us in a place that it's never done before. Speak to us. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the family tree of a man named Joseph. 
This is the Joseph, by the way. This is the Joseph who would become the earthly father of Jesus. 42 generations from Abraham to this man named Joseph. Uh, By the way, verse 17, if you're into symmetry and order, that is a great verse. 14, 14, 14, and all together. 42 generations, 42 persons in the family tree of Joseph who would become the earthly father of Jesus. Um, it starts off in verse, in verse uh, 1 there, it says the genealogy, it uses that word, the genealogy. Uh, that is the genealogy is the study of one's ancestry. It is to determine where you came from and more specifically who you came from. Um, ancestry or the study of one's ancestry can be an extremely interesting thing. I know that some of you have, have uh, ordered the uh, DNA kit, you swab the inside of your mouth, send it off, and you, you get back some days or weeks later, you get back the result. That'd be kind of interesting. Some of you have done that, and, and someday I'm going to do that. I'm going to maybe find some things out about my ancestry that I didn't know, but, but that's a very interesting thing, and it's really quite remarkable what we can do and to determine um, a, a lot of the things about our ancestry. But I I give you a bit of a warning, not so much with the DNA test as much as when you, excuse me, when you go in to determine who your grandparents, great-grandparents, we usually know who our grandparents were, but our great-grandparents and further and further back, I serve you warning because because in doing your research, you may find some, some twisted branches in your family tree. How many here, without giving any details, please don't shout any, out any names if you're, you know, infamously related to someone. How many know that, uh, th- that you specifically know that you have some kind of twisted branches in your family tree? Let me see your hands. There are. I mean, we can go back. I, there, there, are, there are some things about our families that maybe we know or don't know about what happened some generations ago. And you'll, you'll find, if you can trace it back, you will find some interesting things about some interesting people. I've mentioned in conversation, I don't know if I've shared it here publicly, but I've mentioned in conversation with some of you that some years ago, one of my relatives, who was very much into genealogy, traced the Wildman family tree and uh, found out some interesting things. We learned that our roots are in Germany, which is really not a big surprise because um, I, I, I look kind of German, and the name itself is a, is a Germanic name, so no big surprise there. But we, what we also found out that, that they were, there were such a horrible number of people. They, it was a family that was just a horrible, horrible, just cruel group of people. They were literally run out of Germany, uh, and they went to England. They ran them, they pushed them, they evicted them from, from Germany, and they moved to England. And they were in England for a number of years and eventually came to America. The name Wildman literally means wild man. How many are really not surprised by that? <laughs> That's what it means. There's some, there's obviously, I don't know the details, just that it was this horrible family that were pushed out, but there's some twisted branches in my family tree. And Maybe you have somewhat the same. Joseph's family tree here in Matthew chapter 1 Joseph's family tree also had some very interesting branches, and I want to just kind of dig down a little bit into this. Now, some of the names that are here in Matthew chapter 1 are very familiar names, very familiar names, and we know something about them. For example, 
you know, one of the names mentioned is Solomon. And we, we like totally get Solomon. He's like one of the, the, the wisest man that ever lived other than Jesus, of course. But he was very, very wise. God-given wisdom. And we know something about Ruth and, and her story. Man, you talk about rags to riches. Hers is a great story. And we know something about Isaac. And so we know some of these names of these 42 generations we know something about, but there's others that we know like almost nothing about, virtually nothing. How many here know anything about Shealtiel? I mean, right? Zadok, right? My favorite Bible character, Zadok, said no one ever. No one knows who's, no kid comes to the, to the, to the, the Christmas program dressed as Zadok. Nobody. So some we know a lot about, some we know nothing about. But you need to know this, in the family history, in the family history of Jesus, through his earthly father, Joseph, in the family history of Jesus' earthly father, there were liars and shysters and idol worshipers and adulterers and murderers. Some of you, that's not surprising. Some of you, that may come as a huge surprise. Let me run that list by you again. There are liars, shysters, crooks, idol worshipers, adulterers, and murders. Let me give you a couple of examples. First of all, Abraham. He's the first one mentioned there in verse 1. Uh, one thing about Abraham, he had this tendency to lie when the heat was on. A couple of times, he, he, we know that he lied. He was caught in a lie. Uh, when, when pressured, when he was fearful for his family, he was quick to lie. So, so Abraham, this first person mentioned, was given to lying. Jacob in verse 2. Jacob. Jacob is a study in himself. Boy, you want to do a character study in the Bible. Jacob is a fascinating study. Jacob, let me tell you this about Jacob. He was a first class schemer much of his life. I mean, this guy, this guy was crooked. This guy, you, he was not trustworthy. You didn't know, what, what is the saying that you know that he's lying when his lips are moving? I don't know if it was that bad, but, but this guy, he always, had, he always had some scheme going. Really, you can look about it in his, in his life in the book of Genesis. He was deceptive. He was ambitious. Jacob was even willing to defy, divide his family to get his way. He didn't care. If this means I'm going to be estranged from my, from my father, from my brother for the rest of my life, fine. I'm going to get my way. That, that was this guy named Jacob, and he's listed here. Verse 2. Judah. Judah is recorded in, in, uh, in verse 3. By the way, it's Judah, uh, a, a, a derivative of Judah by which we get the word Jew. Uh, uh, so, so the Jewish people starts with this guy. Let me tell you something about Judah. Judah was one of the brothers of the Old Testament Joseph. There's a New Testament Joseph, the father of Jesus. There's an Old Testament Joseph in the book of Genesis, and he's, he's one of a number of brothers. Judah was his older brother, one of his older brothers, and, and uh, uh, Judah was one of those who took part in selling his brother into slavery. Yeah, Judah was one of the guys looking down at, at Joseph, who was in the well, about to be sold into slavery, and he looked down at him and he said, oh, so what do you think about your pretty coat now? Something like that. That was Judah. <laughs> he sold his brother into slavery. You know, I have one brother, and, and sometimes we, but I never thought about selling him into slavery. I never once. If there would have been a market, maybe I would have, you know, I mean, just, 
selling, your, selling, selling someone into slavery, that's horrible. Rahab. Rahab is mentioned in verse 5. At one time in Rahab's life, she exchanged sexual favors for cash in a city called Jericho. That's right. That was Rahab. She's mentioned here. She's in the genealogy of Jesus' earthly father. She sold her body for cash. David, in verse 6, David used his powerful position as king to sleep with another man's wife. Listen, sexual harassment is not a new thing. And if that weren't bad enough, he went a step further. The Bible tells us that David then had the woman's husband, his name is mentioned in there also, uh, in, in, in uh, Uriah is his name. David then had the woman's husband killed to cover it up. I don't know about you, but that to me is first class bad. When someone sleeps with another man's wife and, then has the, and, and she becomes pregnant and then he kills the guy to cover it up, that is like, that is top tier badness right there. 42 generations. There are 42 generations of people from about 20th century BC to 1st century AD. It's 2,000 years. 2,000 years, 42 generations spanning that entire period of time, and while some generations were known for righteousness, they really were, while some generations were known for righteousness, other generations were known for their wretchedness. But I'm really glad that all the generations are listed. I am. I'm, I'm glad that there's the good and the bad and the ugly all right here in these 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1. It's a good thing that all of the generations are listed because it once again demonstrates the power of God in the lives of people. Let me say that again. These verses that, that were so quick to overlook, <coughs> so easily bypassed, these are a listing. This is a demonstration of the power of God in the lives of people. Because what at first glance may seem like some kind of a dusty old record, it's actually a listing of the testimony of God's grace. Let me say that again. It's not just a dusty record of 42 generations, one after the other over the course of 2,000 years. Rather, it is a listing of the testimony of God's power in people's lives. Let me go back for a minute. I mentioned Abraham earlier. Let me talk about him again briefly. The man named Abraham, this guy who was given to lying, he became a man whose faith in God became legendary. Abraham was the guy who later on, he took his, his only son with his wife, Sarah. He took that son and under the directive of God, he almost killed his son. God said, offer him up as a sacrifice. God had, the, of course, the plan to, to, to teach him something through this. He did not kill his son, but he was willing to do so out of obedience to God. That is faith. That is faith. And today, even now, 4,000 years later, the word faith and, and Abraham are so closely connected. I mentioned that first-class schemer named Jacob who was even willing to divide his family to get his own way. He, the Bible tells us, he had a life-altering experience with God at a place called Bethel. 
And then God changed his name. God actually changed his name. For the rest of his life, he was not, well, some people I'm sure called him Jacob, but, but for the rest of his life, he was known by another name. In fact, today, an entire nation bears that same name, that his second name, and it is the word or the name Israel. That's the name that God gave him and changed him. So, so again, he is a story or a, an example of a testimony of the power of God to change a person's life. God said, I'm not only going to change you, I'm going to change your name. How many here this morning are very grateful that God can change a life? I'm going to give you one more chance because some of you are just staring at me. But if you've been changed, how many here this morning are really grateful that Jesus Christ can change a life? Thank God he changes lives. He did this in Jacob, and his name is listed here, Rahab. This is the woman who was known around her city and and maybe beyond and maybe in the whole region as a prostitute. But the Bible tells us she became a a hero or a a heroine of, of the faith of the Jewish people. And in time, she became, and in time, this one-time prostitute became the grandmother to a king. Isn't that something? Come on, that is so cool. It's there in those verses. The story's elsewhere, but she's listed here. The king named David. The king named David, Rahab's grandson. The king named David, the guy who slept with another man's wife and then lied and killed to get his way. The man who perpetrated one of the, one of the most epic cover-ups ever recorded. I mean, this makes Watergate pale in comparison. The Bible tells us that he also, not only did he have one of the greatest cover-ups ever, he prayed one of the greatest prayers of repentance ever recorded. You can read it later. It's called Psalm 51. When he came to God and he said, forgive me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. He, he, he's broken before God. He was truly repentant, and God changed him. See how God changes people? And finally, the man named Joseph. He, he's the New Testament Joseph. Now, the one there in verse 16. The man named Joseph. We know, we know what his vocation was. In fact, this time of year... Joseph is referred to a lot. In fact, it's about the only time of year that he's ever referred to. We know that what he did was carpentry. He built things. Several years ago, my wife and I were in, uh, in Israel, and, and, and we, found out that, we found out that a carpenter did not, when we think of carpentry, we think of a person who works with wood. But a little insight here, uh, a carpenter at that time is anybody who built something. So it would have been not only he, uh, Joseph would not have only been skilled in working with wood, but in a land where there is not a lot of wood and was not a lot of wood, but a lot of stone, uh, Joseph would have also been skilled in fashioning stone or building walls and stuff with stone as many buildings were, were built. He was a carpenter. He was a builder. That's what he did. But... More importantly, Joseph also became known as a man of God. That's even more important. His vocation was carpenter, builder. But his title, the thing that mattered, the thing that ultimately really only mattered was Joseph was a man of God. You say, how do you know he was a man of God? He would not have been chosen to oversee the birth and the care of Jesus and Mary if he had been anything less than a man of God. 
We're going to meet him someday. Think about that. I'm going to meet Joseph. You know, uh, after, after uh, the early chapters of Matthew, the early chapters of Luke, we really don't know whatever happened to him. He apparently died at some point between uh, Jesus' 12, age 12 and Jesus at age 30. At some point there, he died. But you know, someday, we're going to find out the rest of the story. I'm going to meet Joseph. I'm going to look at that man. I'm going to sit down with that man. And we're gonna, I'm going to get to know him one-on-one. I look forward to getting to know Joseph. He's a man of God. Listen, this, this, this listing here in, in Matthew chapter 1, there's a couple of other genealogies throughout the Bible, listing of long lists of names. But I want you to understand here in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, that is not simply a dusty listing of an ancient people. It's far more than that. It is the, it is the moving record of a family whose foundation was in Jehovah God. That's what it is. Now, let me be very clear. There are some people listed here who abandoned God, walked away from God, people who turned their backs on God, and they died as unrepentant sinners. There are some people among those 42 names mentioned, 42 generations, there are some of those generations that they were so epically evil, their, their deeds are recorded here, and they died in absolute infamy. They, they are so bad that I I doubt very much that we will see them in heaven. They turned their backs on God and they died in unrepentant sin. And yet so many of those generations, so many of them, more than I could mention this morning, so many of those generations were changed by God and they trusted God. So that the generations who followed them, think of this, the generations who followed them, they would trace their line back and they would go, see this guy right here? That was my that was my dad's brother, or that was my grandfather. That was my great-grandfather. This was my great-grandmother. The people that followed, the generations that followed them, could point back in their family tree, and they could say, see that person right there? That was a man of God. That was a woman of God. They could look back years later, generations later, hundreds of years later, and say, That was a person who trusted Jehovah God. I mentioned mentioned earlier that my family tree has some very crooked branches, obviously. More than I realize. Um, I have to tell you, that doesn't bother me a bit. It really doesn't. That, that That my surname means wild men means nothing to me. It doesn't bother me a bit. In, in, in fact, I, in fact I'm, 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 I'm just a little bit amused that some of your ancestors probably kicked some of my ancestors out of the country. It doesn't bother me a bit. And here's why. Because I can look back one and two generations, people that I knew in my lifetime, I can look back one and two generations and say, see that person right there? They serve Jesus. See, see that man there? He, I never knew him. My grandfather was, uh, or I was about uh, three months old when my paternal grandfather passed away. I don't even know if he ever held me. He probably did. He came to Christ when he was in his 
early 50s, surrendered his life to Jesus. I never knew him. Someday I'll know him. But I can look back and I can say on this family tree, look, that, he was a man of God. He served Jesus. I can look back at my parents and say, look, they served Jesus. Look at them. Maybe you can do the same. You can look back, maybe one or two generations, maybe more. If you knew them, they lived long enough, you can say, that was a man of God. Maybe there's someone in your family tree and you can point. You can go back six, seven generations and maybe they're recorded and you know something about their lives and you go, wow, I never knew, but what a righteous, godly man or woman. But I ask you this. Will someone someday find your name in a long list of generations and say, look, there's a woman of God, there's a man of God. You see, even if you can't, I, I forget exactly who it was now, I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said, what matters to me little is who my ancestors were, what matters to me much is who my descendants will become. You may not be able to look back one or two generations in fact, there are some here that can look back one or two generations and, and the, the unrighteousness, maybe in some, and please, I'm not putting down, I don't know your family history, but it may even be not very far back, you can find some wretchedness, some unrepentance. I don't know. But I do know this, that you and I are living today. You and I have an opportunity today. You and I can be moved of God and changed by God and altered by God today so that someday someone who either knew us or learns about us, if, 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 Jesus, if Jesus does not yet return, will someday 20, 30, 50, 100 years from now, will they say, I never knew him, I never knew her, but I understand they love Jesus with everything in them. They served Christ with a passion. They gave themselves to the purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will they say that of you? You can do nothing about the generations before you, but God can do amazing things in you to change the generations that will follow you. Years ago, um, oh, it's a lot of years ago, there was a popular Christian song whose, uh, whose chorus went like this. Oh, may all who come behind us Find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. They won't find you perfect. They may be able to say in years to come, oh, I heard what that person was like. 
then something happened. A life was changed. A family was changed. A destiny was changed. They won't find you perfect, but may they know that you were faithful. May our prayer and our devotion be that our children and our children's children and even the generations far beyond that, may they know that you were a branch in their family tree who were changed by and who trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that your prayer? I'd like it to be. Is that your prayer? I'd like it to be. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something that may seem a bit strange. Let me explain. Many years ago, I read a book called Anchorman. I have a copy in my study if you'd like to borrow it. If it's loaned out and we don't have it, we'll get one for you. The premise of the book simply says this, that we have the ability to change people 100 years from now. Say, how's that possible? I won't be around 100 years from now. No, but the people that you touch today will touch the next generation beyond that. You might be 70 years old right now and you have a, you have a 10-year-old grandson or granddaughter. You have the opportunity to touch them and share Christ with them and live Jesus before them so that when they grow up, they too will pass on that godly legacy that you cannot inherit, you cannot pass on a living relationship with Christ, but you can pass on an example of a life lived for Christ so that when they are old, they will touch a people a hundred years from now. May all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives we live inspire them to obey. May all who come behind us find us faithful. Would you stand with me, please? Everyone here, if you can, please stand with me. I would like you to, uh, to pray together. Again, I've done this before. I've done this recently. If you're standing next to a husband or a wife or a child, would you take their hand? If you're standing next to family, go ahead and take their hand right now. We want to pray. We want to pray for um, our children, our grandchildren. Some of you do not have children. Some of you, your children are far away. They're not here. Some of you, um, at this point in your life, you know that they're, but, but you, you're, you're a person who's going to still nevertheless influence and show people in the same way Jesus Christ. You're going to demonstrate Christ to them. So I, I want to pray for our, our descendants. Can you do that? The people that we know that right now, that if Jesus does not return, we will, we will see a generation that follows changed. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Pray with me as I lead in prayer. Lord, I ask that you, having given me this message to share this morning when we talk about generations and 
leading up to a, a season in which we celebrate Christ, we, we realize, Lord, that the, your plan did not begin there in a, in a place there in that Jewish countryside, small town of Bethlehem. That's not where your plan began. Your plan had been going on for thousands of years, even before Abraham. You had a plan for successive generations. Lord, you still do. We can do nothing. We can do nothing about the generations that preceded us. But through your power and by your grace, we can do something about the generations that will follow us. Some of us, Lord, our children are grown up and gone. Others, they're, they're growing up and we're right in the throes of it. I pray you'd be with that father and that mother right now. Help them, give them wisdom and strength. Give them patience. Give them insight. Help them, Lord, in every way so that that daughter, that son will serve you in the years to come in part because they saw mom and dad and grandpa and grandma and great-grandma and great-grandpa serving you. Lord, I pray for that, those parents with just little ones. They're just so small right now and they're so impressionable. I pray for that mother and that father that they will live you before them. Pray for those, Lord, who we're not even married yet. They, they have no children yet. It's, it's something in the future, but I pray that you would shape them so that if and when that time comes, they too would be used of you as an example. Change families, Lord. Change them to such a degree. Alter them to such a degree. There are families here, Lord, who have, who have been transformed in recent years, absolutely transformed in recent years. Should you not yet return in our lifetimes or in the lifetime of our children, may those generations rise up and say, there was a godly man. There was a godly woman. This is our prayer. So Lord, may we search ourselves. May your Holy Spirit search us so that Lord, a next generation will be touched and changed. We pray these things. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do tonight. Lord, for those that are being invited, they may not even have a relationship with you yet, but they're going to hear the gospel message tonight. I pray that throughout this building tonight, you would open hearts and, and that, that the gospel would go forward and penetrate their hearts. Pray for change today. As you help those that have put in so much time we pray also, Lord Jesus, for those that are just struggling so deeply. We thank you for good reports from so many, and yet we just we need your continued touch in people's lives and so many needs that we don't know about, that you love us. As we make our way out of this place, Lord, I pray we go in the power of your Holy Spirit with the message of Jesus in our hearts and on our tongues we would be your people in this world, showing them what Jesus can do to change a life. May we be a living testament, a living testimony 
to your power. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Go in the power and the presence and the change of Jesus Christ. Yeah.